Jesus reports back to headquarters. Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the work of Jesus during his three-plus years on earth. Some have tried to do it honestly, some dishonestly. But what if we could hear the Lord's version of events? How would he assess his own mission and what he had achieved? We have that narrative in John chapter 17. The Son is giving an account to the Father of his ministry, it seems. And he mentions some gifts. Here's Pastor Jim. If you brought your copy of God's Word with you, open it, please, to the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John. John chapter 17 is a precious portion of Scripture. Here we hear God talking to God about things that matter to God. What an incredible privilege to be able to eavesdrop on this conversation. The portion this morning that calls for our attention is the passage that begins at verse 6. Verse 6. Jesus says, I have manifest or revealed your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you gave me. They have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I wish I could have stood at the burning bush to hear the bush talk with a voice that was the voice of God. I wish I could have been with Moses when he went up on Mount Sinai and met with God for 40 days and 40 nights and heard things that not only filled his heart, but that caused his whole countenance to shine. But I can't. It would have been neat to be standing where Jesus revealed himself to Paul the Apostle and saved him on the road to Damascus, but I wasn't there and neither were you. Every time I read that impassioned passage from Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah gives us the fountain, the source out of which those marvelous 66 chapters of God's divine revelation flowed through his pen, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. The earth shook as God spoke. Isaiah saw the seraphim worshiping God, holy, 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 Lord God of hosts. But as he drew near with his heart, he heard God 
speaking to God. Whom shall we send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah was so moved that he responded, how about me? Let me be your messenger. In your mind's eye, in your imagination, you can see that frailly, dimly, but you can't go there. So God has given to all of us who live under the terms of the new covenant a marvelous, intimate opportunity to hear God talk to God. I don't know if you mark in your Bible, if you do, mark the 17th chapter of John as unique and exquisite. It gives you an opportunity to stand outside the cracked open door and hear God the Son in his earthly body talk to God his Father about things that matter to the two of them. Just to guide you and perhaps help, you'll note that the passage breaks into four units. There are four paragraphs in the conversation. The first paragraph is God the Son talking to God the Father about glory. And then beginning at verse 6, God the Son gives a report. He summarizes everything that he knew to be essential about his life here on earth. And then... In verse 9, he focuses his attention upon the disciples and begins to ask God for specific things that God would finish a work that God the Son had begun. And then in verse 20, that prayer is broadened out to include all of us who have come to know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior through the ministry of those apostles, whether their ministry in the book or the ministry of truth as borne testimony to our hearts by others who have come to know Jesus Christ through the witness of the book. There are four things that Jesus prays that God the Father will complete or accomplish in the life of all of us who are believers, our followers. The first one is he prays for our protection. You see it there in verse 11? It says, Holy Father, keep, keep, keep. It means to treasure, to protect, to manage, to guide. So Jesus is asking God, the Holy Father, to keep his disciples, keep them on the path of righteousness, keep them from the sin that's around them. Then in verse 17, he asks a second thing, sanctify them. Use your word, Father, the word that I've given them, use that to sanctify them, to make them holy, to make them like you are. The third thing he asks is in verse 21, he asks that God the Father will give all the believers unity. 
that they may be one, Father, as we are one. And he explains exactly what that oneness looks like in the passage. And then the fourth thing that the Lord Jesus asked for is, verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me. With me. And that has to do with all that God will do to transport us out of our sinfulness into his likeness, transform our body from one of subject to decay, one that is temporal, to a body that is immortal, glorious, spiritual, and then transport us to the very place where Jesus Christ is now. Those are the four things that the Lord Jesus says are critically important. They are the four tasks that were upon his heart as he looked into the future and asked the Father to take charge of the earthwork he had begun. This morning, we're especially interested in the report the Lord Jesus Christ gave to the Father about his earthly work. We note, first of all, the resources of the Father. The resources of the Father. It begins there in verse 2, where Jesus says to his heavenly Father, as you have given him authority over all flesh. It goes on to say that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. The last phrase in verse 4, finish the work which you have given me to do. Verse 6, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. The last part of verse 6, you gave them to me. Last part of verse 7, which you have given me are from you. First part of verse 8. I have given to them the words which you have given me. Verse 9, those whom you have given me. Thirteen times in these verses, the Lord Jesus Christ anchors his request to the Father. He anchors his petition in the character of God, our Heavenly Father. And the predominant characteristic of our Heavenly Father, he's a giver. He's a giver. You go down through these verses and note the 13 times that he is referenced as a giver, and you will discover some incredible things. You'll discover that he is absolutely in charge of all things, and he was able, therefore, to give authority to the Son over all flesh, over all people. You discover that he gave the very words he wanted the Son to communicate. You discover that he outlined, predicted through the prophets, the work that the Son would do. You'll find that he gave glory to the Son, restoring him back to that place that he had had before the world began, where the Father and the Son were co-equal in the manifestation of the glory that was theirs. But the most intriguing use of this phrase is the one you see there in verse 6. Look at it again. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. Jesus Christ is understanding and saying here that every believer is a gift bestowed by God the Father 
to God the Son. Jesus says, they were yours. You gave them to me. Your value and my value is that we are owned by God, known by God, created in his image with all the marvelous potential to become like him, to know him, to enjoy him forever. The great tragedy is that we are a fallen race. We do not want to know God. We have rebelled against him. And each of us want to do our own thing. We want to control our own destiny. We want to be our own God. But we find ourselves deeply mired in our humanness, our frailty, and in what Jesus called the world. Nineteen times in this chapter, Jesus references the world. That's the organized system around us that's built upon the philosophy and premise that man is sufficient in himself. It's the philosophy that everything that exists, exists for me. And if I scrap hard enough, and if I compete hard enough, and if I work hard enough, and if I take whatever measures are necessary, I can have my share and own my share of that world, and I can rule in that little sphere that little dynasty, and I can make others serve me, and I can force the circumstances of life to be pleasant to me, and I can rule in that segment of the world. Won't work. There's already a God of the world, and he is already in control, and he's much wiser and much more subtle than you. And above him, there is a supreme God who created the world, and he's the one who ultimately owns it. He has allowed Satan to manage it for reasons that are partially revealed in his word, but that management is short-term. They were yours. Jesus Christ begins his report to the Father by recognizing that every man, woman, boy, and girl, every person today or in the past or in the future who is human belongs to God. Ezekiel tried to impress that upon us. Same message when he quoted God as saying, all souls are mine. There is no accidental birth. There is no person born into this world outside the creatorship of God. And Jesus says that of all of those who are in the world that God owns, God chose to take certain ones and pluck them and give them as a gift to his son. Bible tells us that choice was made by God as a free and uncompromised expression of his own infinite sovereignty. 
that you have nothing to do with that choice, and I have nothing to do with that choice. We can't dictate or change it. It's settled forever in the eternal counsels of God, and that that choice was made before, before the earth even was created. We are not generally a worshiping people in our culture because we're so impressed with ourselves and we have dumbed God down and diminished his glory. Here's the place where you can begin. Recognize that every person born, including yourself, belongs to God. You will answer to him. I will answer to him. And that God sovereignly, out of his own purposes and wisdom, has chosen some to belong to his son, to have a relationship with his son. He describes that relationship up there in verse 2, as you have given him, Jesus, authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So when Jesus is praying to the Father and he recognizes that God the Father has selected individuals from the multitudes that heard him speak, from those who saw his miracles, from those who ate the bread miraculously created, from all of the displays, all of the teachings, God was busy in the multitudes. And that God selected and gave to the Lord Jesus Christ a number of people. They were God the Father's gift to God the Son. Jesus is grateful for that. And those who were given will be eternally blessed by that gift. Now, why stress that this morning? Well, first of all, because God stresses it. Our task today is to provide an invitation from the Almighty, the God who holds your life in his hand, the God who chose whether you would have the color hair, the color eyes, the height, stature, that God who made you, put you together, made you unique, that God who owns you and controls everything that affects you. That God says that he will give eternal life to whoever will believe. That God also says, don't tamper with the invitation. That God also knows that because you and I are sinners and surrounded by a deceptive world, most of us are not going to respond. As a matter of fact, he even says in some passages that at the human level, you're not able to respond. That you're dead. So when you hear the gospel, or when you learn of God's grace, don't be arrogant. And when God speaks to your heart, don't resist him. 
Don't think that salvation is something as trifling as buying a bicycle or owning a new car or purchasing life insurance. It's not that simple. The son, talking to the father, is so thrilled to know that as he ministered for three and a half years, God the Father faithfully gave some individuals to God the Son as a result of his ministry. Now, Jesus is giving a report to the Father about the things that he did. He had said earlier, verse 4, I've glorified you on the earth. That's what he said. I have sought here on earth and all that I've done and said to magnify you, to let people see you, to let people get to know something about your heart. The true God, I have represented you. I have said the best that can be said about you. I have also told them the truth about you. I have let the people know. And as I've let the people know, you have chosen some and moved upon their hearts and they have responded. And they are now mine. He says, I finished the work you gave me to do. He's reporting to God the Father. Then he says in verse 6, I have manifest your name to those whom you've given to me. The name of God stands as to his character. You remember Matthew said, we called his name Emmanuel which means God with us. The name defined the character of Jesus, Emmanuel. The name of God, Jesus, told, taught, showed, enjoyed, demonstrated. So precisely that when he finished his work, he could say to the disciples, he that has seen me has seen the Father. I have manifested your name. In other words, Father, in the three and a half years I've been here, my target has been to live in such a way that people who watch and listen to me will understand who you are and what's important to you. They will know your ways and they will understand your will. If we were to type up a report on the Jesus evangelistic campaign, we might talk about the number of people saved, how many were baptized, how many healed, delivered, fed. The Son of God is concerned with things like the glory of the Father, the keeping of people and words entrusted, the joy of His friends. We just heard part one of a sermon called, A Gift for the One Who Has Everything. Ask for that title if you'd like to order the message on CD. We'll send that for your gift of $7 or more. The current series is called How to Live Effectively, Volume 2. This group has 12 sermons in it, yours together on CD for a contribution of $42 or more. If you'd like to help get these broadcasts to as many people as possible, then you may be in a position to bless and be blessed. We're looking for volunteers to pray and give. Is that you? Thanks to those who have already come alongside to help. Please mail us at Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085 USA or call 1-800-984-2313 again 800-984-2313 
and hit that website, rightstartradio.org. There you can hear radio programs and you can play or download complete sermons by Pastor Jim. The downloads are free. The Right Start podcast, also free, can be there on your mobile device, ready whenever you'd like to listen. We'll show you how to set that up on iTunes, and you can make a secure donation at rightstartradio.org. rightstartradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. How are we gifts from the Father to Jesus? Jim has started to unwind that mystery. We'll hear the rest of the talk on Monday. Please join us then for the next Right Start. Thank you.